When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Drinking Bros, presented by GhostBed.com. Sit back, relax, and grab a fucking drink. Yeah, welcome to Drinking Bros, kids. Got a banger of a Tuesday episode today. We got uh, AJ Tata here today. I just love saying your last name. It was Tata, but uh, it's close. <laughs> I knew it, dude. I had a bet before this. four-letter words. I had a bet before this. I was like, I'll fuck it up, dude. I knew it, dude. I like Tata better. Uh, yeah. Well, I was going to ask if you were related to Joey, and now yeah. I can't do it anymore. Yeah, well, Wait, you not, ruined it. Who's uh, Joey Tata? Come on, dude. Nat from the Peach Pit, brother. I don't know what Nat or the Peach Pit are. Nat on Two Oh no, I never watched that. He was the best, dude. <laughs> no. Best in the biz. Joe E. So it was uh, Joe who played and then him. E. Period Tata. Uh, that's who played him. That was Joe E. Tata. That oh, was that's his, his real name. name. That was his real name. Well, his name is General. Tata. It's it is it <laughs> okay or is it Tata? Well, it's I mean, Tata. It depends on behind your back though. I'm sure everybody calls you Tata. Just oh, call I, him General. That's usually safe. Jenny. If what about general, Jenny? You know, I'll let you yeah. you want to do yeah, push-ups. I haven't gone in that direction. Yeah, so. could you imagine? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, thank you for being here. We appreciate it. Got a brand new book out, The Total Empire. Uh, is available everywhere. It came out uh, March 21st. And right. you're making the rounds for it. First of all, congratulations. Uh, any book is a momentous task. Uh, you've written many, though, sir. Many, many books. Yep, this is book 15. Yep. Uh, oh, wow. It's the second in the series I've got going with St. Martin's Press and mm-hmm. McMillan. Uh, uh, Garrett Sinclair, the commander of JSOC, Joint Special Operations Command, is the protagonist, and uh, he's suffering some uh, serious loss in his family and has to go find his goddaughter in Africa and uh, do an unauthorized mission, and, and uh, things get crazy with China, uh, where he, he discovers a laser targeting system and, and uh, his, his team's under stress. So it's just like now. It's just like real <laughs> exactly. life, essentially. It's an ascendant China, uh-huh. and uh, America waning a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, it takes two years, uh, you know, about nine months to write the book, and then it's in production for a year with Macmillan. And so it's really two years ago, I was thinking through all these things with China, and I said, you know, a good title for this would be Total Empire, because that's what China wants. And what's the news today? Yeah. Yeah, they, they want Total Empire. We're close. We're, yeah. we're very, very close. And it's weird how things pair up like that. It'll, it'll be great for your sales. 
And yeah. I'm sure St. Martin's Press is amped about it. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I got a great team at St. Martin's Press, Trident Media, my agency. They're all awesome people, and they work so hard for you. A lot of people, a lot of readers don't really see that, but my editor, Mark Riznak, mm-hmm. his, his assistant, Lily Kronig, uh, Joe Rinaldi, the publicist, all, all you know, uh, Mac Nicholas, uh, the publicity guy, they all just row in hard. And they've got, you know, dozens of authors like me Every Tuesday, a new series of books come out, and, and they're an amazing team. Yeah, because people don't realize um, to, to write something as complex as this, you need a great, great editor, mm. or you're fucked. For continuity, especially. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. No. yeah. I mean, that's like the most, that's, that's the thing that I can't wrap my mind around. For some, some people who got their start early, um, like Orson Scott Card, who wrote the uh, uh, Ender's Game series did all of his own editing for the first couple of books. Yeah, I'm like, how, that. dude? Because yeah, yeah. if I read my own shit, I'm like, yeah, that looks yeah. right. Yeah, how yeah, the hell yeah. am I supposed to know if it's bad? <laughs> yeah. I, so I, 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 well, I, tur- I just turned in book three mm-hmm. to um, uh, the Total Empire, and I, I had V17 final draft because I thought – 16 times previously i was done with it and and so i sent it to mark my editor and he says awesome love it take a look at this and so i take a look at that and five more times you know i look at it so you know every time you look at something you're shaping and shaping and then the editors get it and and and, you know the diabolical editors at mcmillan they disable accept all changes. So you have to look at every comma, Dicks, every yeah. which is good. It's yeah, it's good. good. That they Otherwise, make you, you do would that. just get pissed off halfway through. Like, yeah, fuck yeah, these yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, so your uh, your last one was a bit prescient. Um, Jack Carr's been doing that too. Yep. He yeah. wrote, uh, I think, in the blood, and then COVID, mm-hmm, and right. then he this the one after that. I can't remember uh, the name of it, but then it was about AI and shit. And now Chat GPT four is coming out threatening to kill everybody right so right. hopefully your uh next book isn't about everybody dying um, <laughs> well it's about techno fascism so uh the next one well that so. one already happened so yeah. we're, <laughs> we're, we're in the middle of it now as we speak um but first i mean let's start off with this uh you had a an unbelievable like unbelievably impressive military career before having an impressive career as an author um, it's not easy to become a general officer. No, 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 it is not. You have uh, to have like discipline and stupid shit like that. So. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and I'm looking here because you know we we try to do some research a little bit. Obviously, I don't I don't uh, read anybody's names before we start the show, but uh, uh, says you were in the 82nd, which Dan was as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it appears as if you guys were over there in the same years. Did you guys know each other? Uh, no. So believe it or not. Private specialists and sergeants don't hang out with a lot of generals. <laughs> Why not? Well, I was a lieutenant colonel at the time. Still. I was a battalion commander, 1505. Okay, I was in 2325. 23, yes, so the Airborne Infantry Regiment. Uh, Correct, yeah. 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 Not mm-hmm. the Parachute Infantry yeah, Regiment. Not yeah. the Parachute yeah. Infantry Regiment. But you were in the 101st, too, which isn't even fucking Airborne. So yeah, right, I, right, exactly. I've, exactly. I've tried to petition everybody I can to get that Airborne tab taken off their uniform, <laughs> but nobody will listen to me. And see, for us civilians, when we read it, yeah, it's like, oh, you guys were bros. You probably right. hung out and had lunch right, together. Right. Right, right, right. No, there's like, what, 18,500 people in the 82nd at any given time? Something like yeah, that. 18,000 yeah, 18,000 ish. Right. Yeah, yeah so. And, and, you know, as a battalion commander, I had about 800 of those. Mm-hmm. And my brigade commander at the time was a, a guy named Lloyd Austin. Oh, who, I hate that guy. I did his change of command oh, when he boy. went to, uh, when he left brigade, your brigade, and went to uh, 18th Airborne Corps, I did his change of command ceremony. Fucking hate that guy. I hate him. <laughs> Don't For a lot get of reasons. Dan started on on Austin, dude. And, and, and then 
the division commander was a guy named Keith Kellogg. Mm-hmm. Keith Kellogg was Pence's national security advisor. I didn't mind Kellogg, actually. Yeah, I, I, he's yeah. a great guy. He's yeah. a good friend. And yeah. and then you had you know me as a battalion commander, and all three of us ended up in one administration or the other. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty interesting chain of command when you look oh. at Kellogg, Austin, and then me. Yeah, and I, and I want to get to, to how that happens, by the way. So you retire from the military, uh-huh. um, and then who makes that call to you? Is it them, or are you applying for a job at that point? Uh, I, I was, um, uh, you know, so three years ago, whenever it was, um, I, I get a call from the White House. I was fat, dumb, and happy doing, running my business, writing mm-hmm. my books, doing a lot of Fox News and CNN. And, and CNN had tapered off by them. We're so divided now. You can't really kind of straddle that gap. Of course. But um, so, and then I just get a random call from the White House personnel office saying, hey, the, the boss would like to have a conversation with you. And, you know, a, a few weeks later, I was in the Oval Office talking to the president and Mark Esper and Robert O'Brien and John McEntee, the personnel. And, and uh, for the audience, since we are an audio show as well, who is the boss? Uh, the President Trump. There you go. There you go. I just wanted to hear it. Yeah, right. I yeah, just president, to hear president Trump, uh, his personnel guy, John McEntee, called me and said, hey, um, we're looking at you for Undersecretary of Defense for Policy. And which is the number three job in the Pentagon. So you have mm-hmm. Secretary of Defense, Deputy Secretary of Defense, and then the the Undersecretary for Policy. There are about five or six undersecretaries, and the Undersecretary for Policy is the king among equals. Because so it's like Deputy Director Ops. It, it's the like agency, the Ops basically. guy. Yeah. It's like the G3, yeah. the S3, uh, to all the military <clears throat> folks out there. That's exactly right. And then uh, with Trump, uh, do you have any, do they give you any, any advice before going to meet him? Um, because I was told some advice before I met him, and it was completely true. And I'm curious if if you had any intel before meeting him, or you just walked in blind and were like, I, "All I, right, here, I, here's who it is." I, I, nobody prepped me. I prepped myself because I knew I was being interviewed for this job that is uh, critically important to the uh, national security. And so I I did my homework on every region. I I understood because I was commentating two, three, four times a week. I understood his policies. I understood what the progressive left wanted. And I I, I would always try to uh, make sure I understood both of those. And, and, you know, the president didn't want uh, more wars. He wanted to disengage as much as possible, uh, focus on domestic policy and and disentangle us from these foreign entanglements. That's essentially it's not isolationist, but he wanted to wield. Uh, leverage, financial leverage in particular, like with mm. the tariffs in, in China and so forth, to to achieve foreign policy goals instead of leading with the chin of the American soldier. Yeah, and it was it felt like uh, America first, at yeah. least yeah. In, yeah. from Absolutely. the outside, like mm-hmm. as, a, as a voter who voted for him. Um, that's what it felt like to me, and that's what I liked about him in particular. Because like right now, obviously, we've got Ukraine and Russia and all that other shit going on. I don't think... He, if he was still in there, I don't even think he would have gotten involved in that. And that's well, just a guess. Well, I mean, that negative proved itself. People say, well, with this, you know, what would Trump have done? I said, it didn't happen and it wouldn't happen. It, it literally, you went from Obama in the 2014 Maidan riots and, mm. and uh, Crimea, you had Trump. Nothing happened, and then you have Biden, and not even a year later, they're they're taking the rest of you know trying to take the rest of Ukraine. I mean, even Bush in what oh four with Georgia, right? So it's every president of the last 20 years except for Trump. Right. Trump, it, yeah. Has it, had Russia doing some fuckery. 
You know what I mean? Right, right. And, you know, you had Obama saying, I have more flexibility after the election and, yeah. and all of that. But the, the one they come after is Trump, come after is Trump because he wants to stop the wars. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're, it's a big machinery that, uh, you know, economy and so forth. Yeah. So when you meet him and you go in there, what was your first impression? Uh, a complete gentleman. A 100% gentleman. Uh, the whole time, it was 30, 45 minute meeting. Mm-hmm. He, he, we spent about 10 minutes just, you know, nice chit chat, getting to know each other. Um, and then he walked me around the world and said, well, um, you know, General, what would your policy be on uh, Japan and troops based in Japan? How do you feel about Korea? How do you feel about Germany? And, and I understood his positions, and I, I didn't necessarily agree that we needed to get all the troops out of everywhere. And, so, and I said that. I was, you know, I was intellectually honest with him, and, and he said, you know, I respect that. And it was a very good give and take. And with Esper and O'Brien in there, you know, they chimed in as well, and it was a good conversation. And, and at the end, he, he said, you know, to Esper, he says, well, uh, Mark, if you don't make Tony your um, – uh, undersecretary, I'm going to make him ambassador. And I, I looked at him and, you know, cause that hadn't been part of the conversation. Right. 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 So, <laughs> so you didn't know you were uh, like, yeah, 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 I'll tell you what, know? you know, and then, um, after the, after the election and, you know, I just did Don Jr.'s podcast. Um, it just dropped yesterday and, and he and I had a, had a great conversation about his dad and he asked me what, you know, what's the most, uh, you know, salient moment that you had. And I, I would say that first meeting in the Oval Office, and then there were other times, but, um, uh, mid-December after the election, yeah, I went in there just to thank him for standing by me through a tough nomination process and so forth, and and one hundred percent loyal to me. And and uh, again, nothing but a perfect gentleman. Uh, we talked for fifteen twenty minutes. He mm-hmm. was super busy. He was signing legislation, but he he always had time, you right. know. And 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 uh, you know, just just a real gentleman is how I would put it. Let's get in the weeds then. What is your <clears throat> policy on uh i guess foreign troop deployments in non-combat zones well it depends on what the objective you know mm-hmm. is it tied to a vital uh interest of the united states mm-hmm. uh, my you know i manage the national defense strategy right um dan and so my my whole philosophy is if you can't link it to a vital u.s interest we got no business doing it right so um to put that into practice uh, it, when uh, back in the Balkans, you mm. remember the Balkans, mm. uh, Serbia invaded Bosnia, Herzegovina, Croatia, yep. Kosovo. Slobodan Milosevic. Yeah. yeah, Milosevic and all of that. And, and you know, that, that was one of those where I think Clinton and Wes Clark actually showed some leadership, mm. locked everybody in a room in Dayton, Ohio, slid pizzas under the door and said, you know, don't come out until you have a deal. They had a deal, and it stopped that war in the middle of Europe. And it was. Every- and we got the right partners involved too. So if you were over there at the time, a lot of my buddies were uh, yeah, a lot I of a lot of Scandinavian troops, mm-hmm. a lot of Northern European people that were there. And this is something that I see in Ukraine that we lack. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. we're we're again leading with the chant of the American warfighter. Yep. You know what I mean? It's it's. I don't understand it. Like Europeans need to solve Europeans' problems. We can help them, right, from time to time. But it's the same thing that we learned in Afghanistan and Iraq. We can't solve those people's problems, right? All you can do is help, right? You know that's, what I mean? that, that's exactly right. Yeah, every collective security arrangement needs an alpha. We're mm. that alpha, or we should well, be. We, we should be we that were. alpha. Yeah. With we'll, Trump, we'll, we we'll were see that in alpha. Right? I mean, it's. I, I don't think that it's necessarily too late to turn it around at this point. But losing 
if we do indeed lose the petrodollar before the next inauguration of the next president, I think we might be in for some hard times. I, I agree with you. I don't know. I don't know how we come back from that. To be well, honest, well, I, I mean, your 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 point, Dan, about uh, having no finesse with the other levers of of national power, diplomatic, information, mm-hmm. economic, and always leading with the chin of the American soldier. This this administration has no game. Right. Where is Blinken? I don't know been? what the fuck they're doing. Right. And then what? you have Kirby on TV saying he didn't see chaos during the Afghan withdrawal. <laughs> I, That's some straight up. I, I'll, I'll tell you what. That pissed me off. Well, finally, that, Ted Cruz that, that got on TV me and said it was Baghdad Bob. Yeah. So got that. And we, po- we he did. And we posted a video on our, our Instagram yesterday oh, yeah. uh, with the, the background of him saying it wasn't total chaos. Right. And then total chaos is going on. People right. Well, I mean, yeah, people falling of off of airplanes. You, you had <laughs> Afghan special forces soldiers being executed. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it, that's the definition. You had people running on the runway as you're taxing and taking off. That's the definition of chaos. And then when that stupid report comes out and they slide it into the Easter weekend, that was a deliberate FU to the every serviceman and woman that served in Afghanistan. It's like you're not important enough to give credibility to this report and have a, a real meaningful conversation we're going to slide it into the darkness of night that was a total insult and you know when that happened uh, in august last you know 18 months ago the i had troops calling me saying sir was it all for nothing and i said no you did your part you did your part at the right time this has no bearing on you and and it, it was really hard for me to be super genuine because I was feeling it. I, lo- I lost, you know, 87 soldiers when I was the deputy commanding general of the 10th Mountain Division. We had 25,000 soldiers there. And to think that this administration doesn't think enough of the American soldier to have a full, honest, open vetting and hold people account- accountable, it's all about not breaking the hermetically sealed narrative mm-hmm. because if they hold anybody accountable, that narrative unravels. And Kirby had the audacity to say that the AAR is not about accountability. That's the only purpose of an AAR. That's the only purpose. What the fuck is he talking about? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a spin doctor. He's never been to no. combat. He's, you know, he's, he, you know, he's, he's a, you know, been a public affairs guy all his life. You could say he's a bitch. It's fine. <laughs> Yeah. That's what I would have said. Pogue is what Dan usually yeah. says, but yeah, yeah. Either way. Yeah. Um, but with that, uh, and when you see something like that, uh, and they do bury it on Easter weekend, you know they were shuttling him out of there so they could get ready for the the White House egg hunt yeah, um, yeah. down the front lawn and you're just right. like okay cool another Friday afternoon story at 5 p.m. Oh, we missed an opportunity to make a meme. It should have been eggs full of cash and then Zelensky walking around picking them all up <laughs> too late now, too late now. We'll do it sure next year. somebody's making it right this, now this will yeah. still be going on next year we'll do it sure next year. will it'll be going on for the next 10 years so you can use yeah. that meme over and over and over again speaking of which uh how long do you think this is going to go on for it, you know last year i was one of the only people on fox or any cable news channel saying this is going to go on forever um and or, or for a long time remember Biden and Blinken offered Zelensky a ride out. They and Zelensky famously said, "I don't need a ride; I need ammo." Think think about how wrong your intelligence has to be to say we need to get this guy out of there like pronto before the invasion. And also think about the messaging that you know I I could spin this a way that says so the Biden administration wanted to decapitate the Ukrainian government to assist Vladimir Putin in seizing Ukraine. Well, that's what the story would be if Trump was in office and he would be impeached for it, mm-hmm. right? So, I, I mean, that's just a very stark 
contrast of how the media doesn't care about anything but the narrative and power and maintaining uh, the, the right people in power so that they can aggrandize themselves. That's all this is about. And, and so when you, when you think about all the manipulation of information that has been going on, uh, we don't know what's real, what's not real. You have to really dig through sources. You got two masters of disinformation in Russia and, and uh, Ukraine. A third, I would throw in there, the American corporate media. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so you, ha- you have to really try to dig deep to figure out what the hell's going on. I think this, uh, this leaked intel, I think this is all Easter egg bullshit. I don't believe any of it. I think, this is, I think that it was intentionally leaked by the administration. We'll get into it on fake news Thursday, yeah. but I don't believe any of this shit. Because it's got weird, like, one part of it is how um, Putin definitely has cancer. He's going to get chemo, and while he's uh, getting chemo, his generals are planning on sabotaging the war in Ukraine. That's, that's the, like, it's too convenient. Right. Anytime it's something sounds good like that and it comes from the government, you're like, ah. That's nah, not good. You don't know what you're talking no, about. No, definitely that, isn't good. To that point, what's your read on Russia? What do you think Putin's goals here are? Is it just Peter the Great and he wants to reestablish the Russian Empire? What yeah, the I, I think on? he's been pretty open about what he intends to do, take back Ukraine, pressure NATO. He, he's, you know, he feels that uh, NATO has um, grown where we Well, said, we just added Finland over the weekend. Yeah, right, right. Nobody yeah. in the media is talking about that shit. Nobody's talking about it, nor did we have any vetting. So now American soldiers have just been signed up to fight and die in yep. Finland with no vetting, no no congressional input. No, I like the Finnish. They have a good military. They got some of the best snipers yeah, in the world, yeah. as a matter of fact. Yeah. And they're friendly with us. And they were in they're, Afghanistan. They're with way us. better than Ukraine to deal with on a one. They're not. That's not like a quasi fascist state. But but Finland. just from a process st- yeah, standpoint. Sure. Parents ought to know whether or not their kids are now obligated under Title V to go fight and die in Finland if if uh, Vladimir you know throws some paratroopers yeah. in there or something. Yeah, um, I when we were doing research on you this morning, by the way, I wanted to ask you about this. Uh, I, I highlighted this in particular because um, I don't know if if you know that you're being called this online. Uh, but it says after leaving the army, he became a regular on Fox News, where he offered a pro Donald Trump commentary and promoted conspiracy theories. Uh, He falsely claimed that Barack Obama is a Muslim and a terrorist leader and promoted a baseless conspiracy theory, asserting that the CIA uh, sought to assassinate Trump. Yeah. Now, that one I want to... Yeah, sure. Yeah. So I had a friend um, on Twitter was calling Trump a Nazi, and in a joking way, instead of doing it in DM, which I should have done, I was just back and forth on Twitter. I had like 200 followers, you know, I was, you know, and, and I'm like, well, you know, if, if Trump's a Nazi, then, you know, Obama's, a, you know, gave a, a pallet of cash to a bunch of terrorists. He's a terrorist leader. Right. And, and it was 100% joking. I, you know, I, but that, that's, that's what the media does. They, they take this stuff out of context, sterilize it and say, you know, here's this crazy guy. Yeah. And. You know, I, 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 I did not agree with Obama that um, uh, the Iran nuclear deal was a good thing. I did not agree that we should be giving cash to Soleimani, who was uh, making explosive form penetrator IEDs to maim our soldiers. I did not agree that Obama should be apologizing for the actions of, of the United States in defense of our vital interests mm-hmm. in the region. Uh, I, I, you know, to set the record straight, I do not believe he was a terrorist, and that was a jokey thread with a friend. Sure. Right. Um, uh, and but the reality of the situation is the United States is the number one funder of global transnational terrorism, right? Particularly because we buy oil from Saudi Arabia still. 
And they are right. the biggest financial supporter of terrorism. And they get most of their money from us. From us, yeah. <laughs> so, We're supporting our own you know demise. I mean? if, you, if you track that thread back to the source, it's pretty easy to say some of this stuff, to be honest. Yeah, and, and that's a good point. I, you know, I was watching the Masters this weekend, mm-hmm. and Grant I don't Norton, know, you have to call it the governors now. You can't say Masters. Yeah, you're not allowed to say oh, Masters. Oh, right. oh, okay. Yeah, I'm no, kidding. No, the, kidding. You know, uh, the, the golf tournament where <laughs> that is in Augusta. The Green Jacket <laughs> Tournament, yeah. <laughs> the Green Jacket Tournament. Unless green is offensive to anybody. Right, 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 well, we'll so, see. For you blue and yellow folks. <laughs> But Greg Norman, you know, head of the Live Tour, yeah. tweeted out, you know, the, the controversy about Live is that they're funded by Saudi Arabia. Norman tweeted out, you know, how many billions the PGA sponsors spend in Saudi Arabia and, and how, you know, it, it's it's far more than what Saudi Arabia is funding Live for. But um, that hypocrisy has transcended all the way down into the sports media as well. And which is actually a really good point. You know, when, when you think about, uh, our relationships, uh, we, we have gotten so divided that golf is torn between live and PGA and, you know, Competition's a good thing, right? Competition makes you better. It's it's look. It made the Masters better. So I, I think it did too. I, I yeah. did too. Yeah, I looked at the leaderboard, and three of the top five were live guys. It takes yeah. some yeah. of the guys off the board from the lesser tournaments, but the, I don't think that many people are watching those outside of hardcore fans. Anyways, you know what I mean? Right. The the as long as they're the ma- they can come back for the majors. I think that's good. Right? Yeah. Have a different so we talked about this yesterday. Yeah, we talked about it yesterday. I, I don't mind it, and I, I think the competition's gotten even greater because of it. Mm-hmm. And it also forced the PGA to up their purses, mm-hmm. which is forcing more of the great players to to play in the bigger tournaments mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So, uh, yes, competition is good for anything. Anything. You, right. No one can have a monopoly in anything, and right. uh, we're seeing it now. Uh, with Ticketmaster and corporations like that. It's never good. Would you want that in the NFL, though? Do you want to spread the talent? We've thing? already got it, my man. Uh, we got the XFL. we got the USFL. Yeah, we got Does CFL. the XFL or USFL have any of the top talented guys? They don't, right? I, I'm not sure because I don't watch it. Um, but They it, don't, though. It, it doesn't matter. They've got a place to play. Yeah, I think I don't, I don't know that. Your defense over this, by the way, is, is fucking insane to me. <laughs> my I mean, whole it, thing is, is, it is absolutely fucking insane. My whole thing is I want but everyone PGA to play together. takes more money, like he said, from Saudi Arabia. The, are, so, so they're not a mouthpiece for the fucking Saudi Arabian government. Like, it's not directly. Like, when you go to live, you have to do events for yeah. the Saudi Arabian I, government. I think there's it's a, better. There's a direct connection to the Saudi Arabian government. I think government. it makes more sense um, with individual sports than team sports. Like, I don't think there's going to be another basketball, football, or, or baseball league that pops up that challenges any of this stuff but it happens in fighting it does there's a lot of good fighters in bellator Mel, uh, a lot of good you got the pfl everywhere. you got bellator you got all this this shit uh xfl so usfl arena no, football you got um I, you never know I, we won't know until it actually happens right. this weekend we actually got to see it happen for the first time right. ever and it was awesome because they all played in the same tournament so like spreading the talent thin between two tours only makes both tours worse yeah but nobody would have cared about that particular part of it. I wouldn't have cared about Phil Mickelson if he was still in the PGA and not in live and didn't have that story. It's always good to have additional narratives, I think. And the ratings, um, by the way, the ratings were up 20% over last year. Without Tiger. Exactly. Tiger had bowed out. Yeah, he's going to have to get his leg cut off, I think. for golf. Dan thinks he should get his leg cut off and get a robot leg. Delco thinks that. I I think he might be right. (laughs) After I rewatched some of that footage yesterday of him walking off Saturday morning, holy shit, he looked rough, man. Yeah. He's got the Renner leg. He's got the Jeremy I, I Renner I was walking leg. through uh, Walter Reed one time, and I ran into a young paratrooper on crutches. I said, hey, how are you doing? I, and I did this routinely mm. once a week. And 
And he said, hey, sir, I'm good. Um, I'm getting my leg amputated tomorrow. I said, what do you mean? You, you look perfectly fine. He says, I got my kneecap shattered. I can't walk. I, I got to, I got to, you know, I see all these guys with prosthetics and I'm just going to do it because I'll have a better quality of life. And now I'm not advocating for Tiger to do that. But um, when you think about the mentality of these soldiers that have gone over there and fought for us, uh, yeah, it's 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 unbelievable the the spirit and and the and, and the courage that they have mm-hmm. and and the technology has come a long way yeah. to, to be able to help people perform better we'll, we'll be able to regrow legs soon I yeah think. i was gonna say will, will he be able to do it though if he got his leg amputated could you actually play a full round i mean you've played yeah I, i've played golf but yeah. I, I you know the i i don't i don't know that um uh just you know, the that, twist and turn of it and the power from your yeah, hips it would be rough yeah i uh, well yeah. they would make a leg specifically for that yeah like right. the the joint would be made specifically for that particular kind of motion now would they be able to make one that can do that and walk the course in a comfortable way that doesn't fuck his nub up would be the real question if tiger got both legs amputated and went full boston dynamics dog right well, I there's, mean, there's one t- guy that t- would be able t- to do t- it. Uh, a robotic Tiger Woods. I mean, he was robotic enough beforehand. <laughs> oh, now, now can, we're making him the you, uh, like over the next ten uh, years. Yeah. He just like keeps getting body parts replaced. Yeah, right, right, and right. then it's just his human head on He's a, a fucking robot. <laughs> He's a transformer at that point. I think He'll that'd be, be four hundred yards. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, don't let's not compare anything that any of us do on a golf course to what Tiger Woods has done on a golf course. Oh, right. I'm terrible at golf. I, I just I enjoy I'm sure watching it. I enjoy gambling on it, but I am terrible at it. It is one of the best sports to gamble on i think yeah honestly it's fun it's fun. it's like a lottery ticket yeah. um but i want to go back to this thing about assassinating trump real quick because uh, over the weekend uh victor boot the uh merchant of death he said that trump should watch out because he thinks he's going to get assassinated um by his own government do you put any stock in that guy well I mean, the agency so, already killed one president yeah they, yeah um, right yes so to be clear that was part of that jokey thread with my friend and my fiction novelist mindset was and was in response to Brennan. And, and you know, Brennan was such a douchebag um, to, you know, undermining the presidency as a former CIA director, just, you know, out there constantly undermining national security by trying to undermine the president. Uh, so that that was that was all make believe and jokey thread with my friend. Now. I have often said that the president you know, better have the best Secret Service team he can possibly have because, you know, he, he likes to get out there and mix it up. You saw him at UFC. Oh, Saturday night, yeah, he yeah. was out in a full and, crowd and, and, and nobody and, and knew. I, and I worry about him because you see how hard they're trying to stop him. You see they're pulling out all the stops. And, and if you get on down the line, one of those stops – uh, could could involve you know some crazy guy or or some very methodical guy funded by some entity to just take him off the chessboard and that's why I, I brought it up today so when i read that article um i didn't i don't think that's too far off base yeah. I, I really don't because like dan said we've done it once yeah and not only that but even recently in the last five years or so the fbi and cia have for the first time i can remember in in american history actively worked both behind the scenes and in policy against the wishes of the sitting president. That's the weirdest thing I think I can think of. He, I've heard him talk about this and had some conversations with some of his advisors. He just, I guess, experienced some level of incredulity about it. Like, I can't believe they would do that. It's not true. 
he said he he says he was naive about that process um that he should have just fired everybody at the FBI specifically because they were spying on him his campaign should have fired everybody presence. across yeah. the government yeah but i don't uh, every I mean, political point i think uh think think about it from this perspective if you listen to him recently that's on the table if he gets elected in 24 a lot of people are getting fired and this is the department of justice in the intelligence community what are they going to do to stop him from getting elected you got to wonder that's a, that's a good question to ask right mm-hmm. it is and uh since you've you were on don jr's show the other day we've had eric on here uh, i've also talked to him privately and uh one of the biggest things he said uh that always stuck with me is as i said what would be the difference if he got in there in 24 versus 16 and he goes he would have fired all these people because they were all out to get him and uh i don't know not to go too far down a conspiracy rabbit hole but like i don't know that they would allow it to happen now um i just think that there's too much on the line and dan always talks about uh, protecting the political aristocracy and everything else, and and, and I agree with them. Well, I, I don't think they'll let them get get close in twenty. Yeah, well, I, I, you got to get past the ballot harvesting. You got to figure out five states, five counties, and how to win there. And and the Democrats have done that. They 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 know what they have to do. They had the table run on them in mm-hmm. twenty sixteen. Uh, they they figured that out in twenty twenty yep. uh, by hook or crook. And uh, now in twenty twenty four, you can just assume that they've you know, tighten up that whatever scenario they use. Um, what do you I, think it is? Because it really is five it, it, counties. It's ballot harvesting. It's, it's, it's five uh, counties. It's 20,000 votes are usually less than somewhere mm-hmm. in the, take yeah, Arizona, yeah. Nevada. It was, it was, they're all under 20,000 votes. It, it's, it's scouring the voter rolls, finding, finding people that haven't voted before. And, and, uh, you know, we saw this dump in 2016 when Pat McCrory got beat by 0.05% of the in vote North in North Carolina. North Carolina. I was his secretary of transportation. I know you were and and, we, when we were there. Right, exactly. Uh, and if you remember that ticket correctly, because I voted in that election, mm-hmm. and uh, I met Mr. McCrory back in the green room. A big Wilmington guy, loves Wrightsville Beach. He'll talk to you about Wrightsville Beach. Right. Um, he, uh, during that election, if I remember correctly, was the only Republican on that entire ticket in the entire state. You're exactly who right. Who didn't get elected everything else was so trump won by like two hundred fifty thousand. yep down ballot you had burr running Mm -hmm. he won by about the same margin dan force or the governor lost by about four thousand five thousand um and then so that's a two hundred forty five thousand two hundred fifty five thousand vote swing right there from trump burr cooper or not vote and then Dan Forrest, the lieutenant governor, had like 280,000 yeah. uh, margin. Uh, run, Forrest, run. Yeah, run, Forrest, That Forth, was Dan his campaign, Forth. yeah. Yeah, and, and then on down the ballot, they won just about, Elaine Marshall, Democrat, uh, won Secretary of State, and Beth Wood, auditor, won the audit race, Democrat, uh, but everybody else, I think, was, was Republican. Republican. Yeah, and, and, and they all won. And I said on this show, I go, because uh, we were in the height of COVID at that point, right? So um, I said, dude, you're going to tell me that everybody went down ballot and then for just the, the one for governor, they were like, nope, fuck this guy. And uh, I, that to me was Well, it had a crazy. lot to do with uh, House Bill 2, which, uh, you know, we're still we're seeing the manifestation of that. That was the transgender bathroom. Bathrooms, bill. yeah. Yeah. And they lost the NBA All-Star game in Charlotte, they, they, I believe. They lost Bruce Springsteen and yep. like 50 concerts. They, they lost the ACC tournament. Think about North Carolina ACC tournament kind of mm-hmm. going the same sentence. They moved the ACC tournament to New York or somewhere. And so that, that, uh, 
had more of an impact on McCrory than anything else. And and it became because Pat's real signature achievement was increasing jobs and, and making the economy better and, and transportation. He, he was a real cha- transportation gook uh, or, or geek and uh, guru. And and he 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 connected people like he loved being a, a, a geek on all that kind of stuff. And so um, when when HP2 came out, I, you know, I, I, I said to him, look, just veto it. You're going to be overridden in the supermajority anyway. You got to run statewide. None of these guys have to run statewide. You, you've got to, you know, appear. And, and, you know, he'd just come out of the primary. The Democrats had timed it perfectly. He was running to the right to win the win the primary. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he was sort of still leaning that way. And, and you know, and, and I believe in his heart. He, he, he thought, you know, we can't have the things that are happening today, you know, the, the, the guys and the girls. It hasn't changed. And, yeah. yeah. I, look, it's, right. and, you know, yeah. DeSantis has only further stamped that down in Florida if you go a little bit further down the coast where you right. live. Right. And, uh, and it's the same issues, which I still agree with. Right. Um, but they were losing a lot of money tourism-wise, but I still find it hard to believe that just that one guy, you went off ballot. And you were like, no, I'm going to go for this other guy. Yeah, so I, I, I remember it. I was in Wilmington at, um, at the uh, New Hanover County Republican headquarters, and we were sitting in there watching all the votes come in. I remember somebody saying, hey, you know, New York Times saying Trump's got a 92% chance of winning. And I'm watching the governor's race because I was no longer secretary at the time. But, I, you know, I'm watching it. You know, he's up by like 110,000 votes, and only Durham County hasn't reported. And, you know, I texted him and says, looking good. You know, he never responded because like 10 minutes later, he was down 3,000 votes or down 1,000 and then 2,000 and 3,000. And, you know, that was a 11 p.m. drop mm-hmm. after, you know, four hours after the polls had closed. And, you know, they, you know, I, I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist as I'm alleged to be, but um, you got to wonder, you know, what, you know, what, what really happened there. He was the only guy. I know, I know. The only I, I, guy. Yeah. Well, all of a sudden, over the last, what, four or five years, it started to take weeks to count votes that we've done before technology right. in one night right. for a 240 fucking years. Mm-hmm. Right. All of a sudden now it takes, yeah. well, it takes a while. You know what well, I mean? Yeah, well, how can you game the system if you don't know what you need? Sure. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, so, if you track this backwards, this is the same thing that, Cambridge Analytica did for the Trump campaign in 2016, but they did it the legal way. They targeted these needle mover counties inside Mm of uh, swing states and spent all of their marketing dollars just on that with geofenced advertising, right? Mm -hmm. Which means you put in a zip code into your app and it only sends uh, uh, traffic to that. One of my friends was the marketing director for that campaign. I know exactly how it worked. It was very effective. The left did it instead of using tech to do it, they used ballot harvesting to do it, All right. which is interesting. Does it necessarily mean what they did was illegal? I don't know for sure yet. We'll see maybe at some point, or maybe we never will. But uh, while ballot harvesting is, I, I believe, illegal in those places, but it could have just been a, a gray area, really good ground game, retail politics ground game, but um, man, it didn't look good. You know no. what I mean? When it's like... When something obvious is happening and then all of a sudden the exact opposite happens at the last moment or people stop the process and then it flips all of a sudden, that's obviously going to make some people scratch their heads. Well, the 3 a.m. straight up line, you know, blue line over the red line. 
AJ, you've been on some podcasts before. Obviously, we got some sponsors to keep the lights on here. First and foremost, ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros. 50% off the bundle package. Dog, half off. Highest savings they've ever had in the history of the company. Cheers to GhostBed. Heading towards that recession. Already in it. Already in it. Let's face it. GhostBed's got your back. Literally. Uh, They'll keep you in a good night's sleep, even though you might be stressed out to the gills, friends. That bundle package, uh, that'll really help you out. 50% off, adjustable base, and the mattress combined together. Their most popular version of that is the Split King. Uh, It's got two remote controls instead of one. If your lava wants to go to sleep before or after you, they have the option to do that. Now, if you're saying to yourself, Ross, I've got the adjustable base. I just need a mattress. 40% off with the promo code DRINKINGBROS at checkout. And you can put 50 mattresses in the cart if you want. Uh, also the sheets are super underrated, dude. I've got those in every room in my house. I've also got the bed cover as well. Cause I got kids and they're eating nachos and popcorn on movie nights with mom in there and, uh, got to keep the mattress clean. And for those of you that are single, that just want to sleep her on in, dude, get that weighted blanket. You'll sleep for 14 hours. And that goddamn thing. Uh, plus, right now, if you're getting a mattress, you get two free luxury pillows with that. You know how much I love the luxury pillows. I talk about them on the show all the time. And when you check out at the bottom of the page, you're going to see a three-year pay-as-you-go program. No interest as long as you have decent credit there. And all the deals that I mentioned are applicable with that. Uh, and if you want to... You can walk out of there with a brand new bedroom set for about 20, 25 bucks a month. Head on over to ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros today. Next up, we got mybookie.com. Promo code drinking bros doubles that first deposit all the way up to $1,000. Talked about the recession with Ghostbed. All right. It's time to make some extra cash for your love of sports. How much do you know about the game, huh? How much do you know? How about turning that uh, love of the game into your new side hustle over at mybookie.com and popping in that promo code Drinking Bros to double your first deposits. We got NBA playoffs on tonight. We got the Lakers on tonight. We got the Hawks on tonight. It's already started. I'm all in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the Kings tonight. Mine is, Bob, is it seven tonight? I think it's minus seven for the Lakers. I think I'm going to hit that Kings and I might even parlay that and kick it up 5 to 12 because you can do that on mybookie.com. If you parlay a couple teams together, you can get uh, an extra five points either way. And that's fun. I enjoy it. I did it through March Madness. I won a bunch of money on UConn, winning the championships. I'm not telling you what to do. Bet with us or against us. Just do it on mybookie.com. Use that promo code Drinking Bros, which will double your first deposit all the way up to $1,000. Next up, we got manscaped.com. Getting 20% off. Plus, free shipping with the code DRINKINGBROS at manscaped.com. If you ever walk into somebody's bathroom and you see a little tiny electric uh, shaver in a nice little kit sitting up on their counter, chances are it's from Manscaped. Uh, it's perfect timing considering April is 
Testicular Cancer Awareness Month to help raise awareness and to fundraise for a good cause. The leaders in Below the Waist Grooming have partnered with the Testicular Cancer Society to remind you to check your golden nuggets this month uh, for anything not so golden. And while you're down there, shave your balls while we save your balls. Support a good cause and go to manscaped.com. Use that promo code Drinking Bros for 20% off and free shipping. Uh, Testicular Cancer Awareness Month is important, gentlemen. Just give them a quick feel down there. Just squeeze each nut uh, properly. Don't be playing with it, all right? Just give it a couple squeezes. Make sure there's nothing hard down there. And if there is, go get yourself checked out. Uh, As I said at the top of this, April is National Testicular Cancer Awareness Month, and uh, Manscaped has teamed up with them. Um, So right now, that Lawnmower 4.0 TCS Special Edition trimmer is uh, is waterproof, and uh, it's also the special edition that's going to help out testicular cancer. And for a limited time, you can get that special edition purple uh, lawnmower down there. And and they're only giving 10000 out. So after the 10000 uh, are gone, they're not coming back. Uh, but Manscaped will be donating $50,000 to their longtime partner, uh, which is the Testicular Cancer Society. And, uh, and all of those who have been impacted by testicular cancer, $50,000. So get that limited edition, 10,000 units, like I said earlier, uh, limited edition purple lawnmower 4.0, and you're good to go. Uh, not only are you helping raise awareness, but you're also helping to give back to the Testicular Cancer Society. Check yourself while enjoying your Manscaped products at home. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code DRINKINGBROS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code DRINKINGBROS at manscaped.com. Make sure to spread the news and tell your buddies to check themselves and testicular awareness month. Yeah, and I mean, it didn't look good in 2020. It doesn't look great in 2022, and nothing's been done about it. Right. Uh, All these court cases have gone nowhere. I I was at a signing in Fayetteville, and and it was at a a Republican women's event, and they had the North Carolina um, woman running for North Carolina chair, and then she's talking about Rona McDaniel, and I'm like, you know, why, why would we support her? She didn't get it right in 2022. She didn't get it right in 2020. Why, I mean, you know, she, she loves her job. She likes being inside the ropes. But from my point of view, she, she's like completely ineffective. If there was any time that we should have walked away with an election is in 2022, the midterms, we should have swept all of that. Yeah. But but we seemed like, you know, we had no no ground game. We were ineffective. And I get it. The media is all against uh, Republicans and all of that. Uh, but we we are really challenged right now. And I don't know that we can ever win another national election unless we figure out what they're doing and then, you know, mirror image that. How did, well, if they're cheating, you got to cheat better, right? So right. W- with that... Um, you know, looking ahead to 24, uh, something that hurt the Republicans and is still hurting the Republicans, in my opinion, uh, is the abortion issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have these things that uh, you're shooting yourself in the foot, in my opinion, for, right. for no reason right before an election or things like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and now they're trying to ban, we talked about this yesterday on fake news, uh, the abortion pills and all that other stuff. And it's like, man, you're 
a year and a half out at this point. Why right. keep feeding them? Well, right. Here's what's going to happen exactly now. What two, they want. two federal judges have ruled this past week on opposite ends, which means it's going to get fast tracked to the Supreme Court. I don't think it'll. I don't know that it'll necessarily make the May and June releases. Usually, they they have decisions come out in May and June. Um, but it's going to happen by next May and June in the middle of the goddamn campaign. And the problem is, if they return it to the states like you were talking about yesterday... That's the only we, reasonable solution. Right, but we know what's going to happen with the states. And that's only going to piss everybody off even more. What are, the, for the, the person that that will hurt the most... Because Trump will just say, it's a state's right issue and move on. I don't think he needs to get buried in that. But if DeSantis is the guy that runs... He's going to have to rule on this in Florida, in his state, and then run for federal office. That's a whole different scenario because now it's on his record. You know what I mean? Correct. Um, That's going to be a problem for him. Yeah. And it I, won't be a problem for Trump. I think his stance was 15 weeks as it was. Um, I'm not sure if that's the if most that, common policy in the world. It is. And, and I, I don't know if that base in Florida, I mean, you know more than we do living there, um, is either happy about that or not happy about that. But it seemed like before Roe v. Wade was overturned, everybody was pretty much fine with that is that something that he does and, and is probably going to have to announce a decision on that because they were certainly hammering candidates on this last one about uh dr oz for example got hammered in, in his debate if you want to call it that with fetterman um but uh you're gonna have to establish some answer I, I i think dan's right you know i think trump just says look i, I already dealt with this i was already president you know, it's states' rights thing, and well, and, we know what Trump's going to do. But what what will DeSantis do, for for example? Oh, uh, well, I mean, I think he would have to be consistent, right? And and that becomes problematic from a national perspective because you know the 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 polls and the absolutists will tell you, well, you know, an unborn baby it doesn't matter. The poll doesn't matter. The unborn baby. So so that, but you can't win, uh, you know, presumably. Uh, unless you reframe the, the conversation. And so I, I can't see DeSantis doing anything but being consistent with what he's supported in Florida or uh, he'll just, you know, it's kind of a no win, right? He's he's counter to the prevailing wisdom in the country. Um, and and if he changes to get in, get in line with the prevailing wisdom, then, you know, suddenly, you know, he's flip-flopped. And, and that's not a good place to be either. No. So. And having worked for Trump, having currently live in, a, you live in a state where DeSantis is governor, mm -hmm. who is the Republicans' best shot in 2024? And who, who do you want to see in there? Yeah. So, I mean, it's a real interesting um, discussion because, you know, uh, President Trump is far and away um, the primary leader, right? And, uh, you know, there's the electability conversation. I, I think, you know, with everything going on, um, yeah, I, I think President Trump is electable and I, he, you know, he's been there. He's done the job. He did it with massive headwinds in his face and he did a great job. And, and so I, I think what, what we're, we will see is the international security situation is going to continue to dissolve around us. The economy is going to continue to spiral out of control. All these attacks on Trump to, you know, these political attacks, you know, cloaked as prosecutions are only going to make the American people believe and realize that the only way to not accept becoming a third world banana republic is to put Trump back in power to say that this is not acceptable. That's that's my viewpoint on this, because and people got to break out of the 
cult of the mainstream media and start thinking critically about what country they want to live in. And this country right now is at a tipping point where this far left progressive ideology is, you know, what they are doing is disaggregating us, uh, you know, that we're all these different groups and different people and they're dividing and conquering they're pitting people against each other. And, and they're the Bob Eukers of the world, you know, taste great, but like, you know, wh- whatever, um, less filling. Uh, yeah. yeah, less filling and, and causing fights. Um, in a very serious way, that's got people shooting each other now, right? Mm-hmm. And and so and and they're supporting that, and they're not supporting the people who are getting shot. This administration, they're supporting the people doing the shooting. Well, to be frank, even the uh, uh, if you want to take that a step farther, you you mentioned before leading with the chin of the American service member, um, the brass in the Pentagon is doing a pretty piss poor job of taking care of those folks as well. Right, a bad one, and not not just in the way that they treat the individual soldiers or sailors, airmen, marines, or any of that stuff, but the way they conduct themselves in public and the way they handle policy. Like Millie talking about white rage being a serious issue in America, Lloyd Austin saying that climate change is the biggest threat to our military. Right, stupid shit like this has got to stop. You know right. what I mean? Like if we're going to be seen as a as a legit power on the world stage, we can't have people in secretary level positions that are men dressed like women frankly. right uh, well a hundred percent and and when you when you think about so when i took command of 1505 mm-hmm. parachute infantry regiment in the 82nd airborne division uh george crocker was the division commander 1966 west point grad vietnam vet on the cover of newsweek magazine or time or one of those um uh, as as a great american hero mm-hmm. and he he reached out I was in Bosnia working for the commander there. He reached out and said, I need Tata to come in and and lead this battalion. This battalion had um, just the previous command, under the previous commander, had 22 practicing skinheads in it. That's a, you know, white nationalist Mm -hmm. group. And one of them went downtown Fayetteville and shot two African-Americans in the back of the head to get a spider web tattoo on, on his elbow. And they brought me in to fix that. You know, Austin came in like three or four months later after I took command. And you don't fix that stuff by pandering. You fix it through leadership. Mm. You fix it by saying, we have one goal, and that's to defend the United States of America. And we, we treat everybody with dignity and respect. We, ta- we put our differences aside, and we work together as a team. What this administration is doing is just the opposite. Don't work together as a team. Highlight the differences. Mm. And that's, that's where we are today. And, yeah, I watched, you know, Lloyd's uh, confirmation here. He, he took credit for that. I pretty much solved all of that. Um, I remember when I first got yeah, there yeah. through reception, they were like, it's, it's when they first started uh, checking for tattoos and shit to make sure you weren't yeah, some kind of Yeah, asshole. well, I mean, that was, it, it, I was in Bosnia. This shooting happens, and, you know, it was on 60 Minutes. Uh, you know, it was a national embarrassment mm-hmm. and uh, for the Army. And, and you know, the, the commanding general brought me in to fix that problem, because he knew th- that we needed leadership there, mm-hmm. not not to not to pander and disaggregate and and you know how you know how's your feelings? It, it was you know tough love. But that's the purpose of intersectionality. It's just to, as you said, highlight all of our differences and then rank them in order of victimhood. Right. 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 And that's loser bullshit. Right. That's how you get killed. To be right. honest, that's just that's pussy exactly loser right. bullshit. And, and and that's why. We've got 60, 70% recruiting um, in, in the military and right 10, now. And 10,000 
army troops who have quote unquote fallen into obesity in the last two years. What the right. fuck does fallen into obesity mean? <laughs> yeah, we used to have we used to have the overweight program. Uh, it had a different name to it, but um, the the um, can you share that name? <laughs> it was called the Fat Boy fat program. Boy. There you <laughs> go. We can still say it. It's fine. You can still say Fat Boy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway. Um, and that was pretty rigorously enforced, mm. and and you know the the uh, I, I think we're scraping so hard for people. Think think about America's sons and daughters right now, America's parents looking at all this insanity happening, and with the with the administration sharpening their knives for looking for a fight, World War Three, you know, and and can't make their recruiting goal. Are you going to put your kid and, you know, encourage your kid to go in the military? I uh, actively tell people not to join the military right now. Yeah. Because yeah. I wouldn't. Yeah. I'm not, not going to give somebody advice that I right. would take myself. There was yeah, a right guy, right. and this is no lie. This was an off-air thing that I'll tell you on air. There was a, a listener who came in and actually asked you uh, for advice because he wanted to go in the military. I watched you talk to him for close to 30 minutes uh, about not doing that i told um, what i told him to do and this is good advice for anybody if you're so inclined if you want to protect your community go become a deputy sheriff in a in a county that makes sense to do that in because that's the last line of defense we have domestically against all mm -hmm. this bullshit that's going on right. and it's a good way to serve your fucking community as well right but i'm not going to tell somebody to sign up so they can go to finland or ukraine or some shit like that fuck that yeah and you fight what I mean? for what yeah, uh, what what are we fighting for over there? I mean, I mean, I mean. So the the whole thing with nine eleven was super weird to me. I've always been very skeptical of people who try to say that the U.S. government was involved in it or something. But if I found out hard evidence today that the U.S. knew it was going to happen and let it happen, that would not surprise me because you need an excuse sometimes to go do what you need to do. Right? I know that within a couple of hours we flew the entire Bin Laden family out of the country. That yeah. happened. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of weird shit around there. I don't think we planted bombs in any of those buildings or anything like that, but I do think we probably knew about it and let it happen, and I wouldn't be surprised if there's some false flag shit that happens between us and Russia. I mean, we already blew up the Nord Stream 2, and uh, we, we, just, we just did it. Don't even give a fuck. And the international community is like, hey, you guys did this. We're yeah. like, nah. Nah. Uh, that was somebody else probably, right? Right. That wasn't us. But you know about the inner workings of government and how, how it all shakes out. I mean, do you when you were there, for example... Um, did you ever get some memos or things come across your desk where you're like, man, that probably wouldn't be good for this country if that yeah, happened? Well, I'll, I'll tell you one real good example. Um, when, uh, and we talked a little bit about it. Uh, when, you, when you don't have people align with the president's vision, uh, and, and President Trump came in and you had the establishment, the Republican establishment that did not support him, but when he won by surprise, they all jumped across the threshold and said, good jobs for us. Let us help you. Mitch McConnell, Lindsey yeah. Graham, those yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah. well, that and the RNC, you know, all those kinds of people. And, and you know, they had to fill slots, right? And, you know, it, it had been eight years since, you know, a Republican team had come in to do anything. And there's atrophy of skills and so forth. And same thing with McCrory. 20 years had been between Republican governors. And here I am appointed as the Secretary of Transportation. And, you know, we, I interviewed every person that was a political appointee, ended up firing most of them. But Cooper, when he came in, day, you know, the first hour of the, of the new year, 
everybody got a memo saying they're fired. The Democrats play this game better than we do. And and so the 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 RNC came across, the establishment came across. They didn't support Trump's vision. They just wanted great jobs mm-hmm. to help with their portfolios. And you know, there are some good people. I'm I'm painting a broad brush brush here, but I had worked for Trump on the ground in North Carolina for eight months, 10 months. I never got a phone call. And, and it's because I wasn't an establishment guy. Right. And, and so the establishment jumped and blocked everybody else and said, all my friends are getting these high level jobs. And, and, you know, I was fine with that. And, you know, I'd been government servant for, for a long time, but, uh, and was in business and was doing fine. But uh, when, I, when I became, um, uh, I was transitioned as the deputy undersecretary of defense for policy, they bring this memo for me to sign, and it had to do with the Iran nuclear deal. And I read it, and I said, this is not consistent with the president's vision. It left a path open to achieving the Iran nuclear. I said, I think he's been pretty clear for the last yeah. three years. We're not doing that. And they said, yeah, but, you know, we need to, you know, we don't know if he's going to win. We, you know, I'm like. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it doesn't matter if he's going to win yeah, or not. Yeah. It's still I the mean, wrong thing to he's, do. He's the elected president of the United States, and he said to get out of this deal. And, you know, they, they all looked at me like I was an enemy of the state or something. I said, you will rewrite this memo, and you will close down all the all the loopholes that you've got in here, and, and we're going to, you know, do what the president wants to do. And because he got elected— and presumably the majority of people liked his platform on the Iran nuclear deal, which I believe they did. Well, I don't think anybody cared too much for giving, uh, as you mentioned before, Soleimani a billion dollars. Right. Yeah. Right. What the fuck? Are you right, kidding me? right, right, right. Uh, yeah. Soleimani, by the way, wasn't just, it wasn't just EFPs that he was responsible for. He was the architect of the 1983 Beirut Marine Corps yep. barracks bombings. Yep. Uh, he was instrumental in linking up the Sunni and Shia fucking militias against us. Yep. He's the last, he spent about, 30 years fucking America over 40 years almost. He's got a lot America. of American blood on his Well, hands. now his blood splattered all over hey, a tarmac and, and, and somewhere. And think so about, him. you know, when, when Trump put the hellfire up mm. his tailpipe there um, in, <clears throat> in Baghdad, um, and um, what the le- progressive left response was to that, they lionized, the yeah. media in particular, lionized Soleimani and criticized Trump when it was a very brave action. He he, he killed far more Americans than Bin Laden, and you know. So, yeah. and yeah. and, and uh, killing this guy made for a, a better, more stable Middle East. And you can tell, um, when one guy on the other team, you can tell when everybody involved on both sides knows he's a piece of shit. Is when you kill them and they don't even really retaliate that much. It's like, ah, he had it coming, probably. Even right. Iran, who doesn't care too much for us, I'm told. Not right. sure. Yeah. We yeah. blew up their fucking best guy, right? That's like their Michael Jordan over there. Yeah, they fucked their his queen ass off up. the chessboard. Yeah. Right? yeah. Uh, they were like, ah, here's some, here's some rockets. Yeah, they fired some there. random rockets out yeah. of isolated airfield. Well, the bizarre thing was, you know, right after it happened, the media ran with the World War Three story. But we haven't heard that. You know, after we were given all this fucking money and weapons and all right, that stuff right. to, to Ukraine and Russia. Um, and with that, uh, with with the, the the docs that have leaked to Twitter and everything else, uh, have you personally had a chance to read them? I, I've, I've looked at some. Yeah. And, yeah. W- and what are your thoughts on them? Well, my thoughts are, you know, I, I, I don't disagree with Dan that it could be some kind of a false flag thing. But 
I, I think probably, you know, we've had other, um, you know, uh, Snowden and so forth. Uh, I, I think it's probably just some rando, you know, want to get the word out and expose what's going on. And that's the trouble with the digital age right now is that everybody's got one of these. It's easy to walk into a skiff and, mm-hmm. and take some pictures and, and, and that kind of thing. And, you know, I, I, I think that the you know, at the end of the day we're 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 talking about exposing lists of sources in you know different countries that are us sources that to me it's the most dangerous piece and uh, when when you think about that the the biden administration has been terrible for national security right whether it's afghanistan or getting it wrong early in in ukraine doing no diplomacy to dissuade putin from attacking ukraine uh and then uh now exposing some of our most sensitive assets around the world particularly in europe and and undermining uh not only that piece but think about when we left afghanistan uh, you know when i was the undersecretary i talked all the time to my nato partners uh you know the equivalents there and i said look we came in together we modified together and we will leave together uh, on this out of area mission in afghanistan and there were 30 nations in there roughly from provincial reconstruction teams from romania all the way up to a brigade combat team from canada and everything in between and so everybody had something going on in there and when did we leave in august the peak of fighting season when everybody in europe is on vacation and the entire administration was on vacation and you know blinken was at his hamptons house Saki was somewhere else there was nobody home you know any more than there usually is um the basement was full (laughs) (laughs) that's right and and so and we we just left there was no lateral coordination with nato we fundamentally broke nato right we fundamentally fractured nato by doing this just pell-mell rush to get out of there and putin saw that and that was his window of opportunity most people recognize the window of opportunity by the sound of it shutting and putin saw that and he started moving troops within three four weeks of of the afghanistan deal and he knew that he was going to be facing a nato that was dependent on his oil and not happy with the americans what better opportunity for putin could there be and and all this stuff you know because biden says it oh nato's never been stronger nato's never been weaker than they are today because there's no alpha leading that there's no diplomacy there's no there's no nothing uh other than some haphazard um uh you know discussions on providing migs and you know high mars and and patriot missiles and and abrams tanks and that kind of thing Mm -hmm. yeah because you know i look at it um as far like all of this regarding 2024 if if the petrodollar goes down we've already got horrific foreign policy already uh like you were talking about everything you said about russia we had said uh, right when it happened, you take advantage of weak leadership and you right. go in. I, you don't really fault Putin for that. I mean, it was a perfect opportunity for him to do it if he wanted to do it. And he mm-hmm. took advantage of it. You might not need those five counties if all of this falls apart because it feels like we're kind of creating the perfect storm 
mm-hmm. for just a total collapse of the economy and uh, and nothing will turn around an election faster than that. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's going to happen by by the time we get to 2024? Yeah, I, I see things unraveling at a pretty rapid pace. Um, uh, the, the question is, can Rona McDaniel, who has proven incompetent so far, um, you know, make progress um, and learn lessons on how to beat Democrats? Because that's her job, right? That's her sole job. Politically, she's got to understand how to marshal the resources and 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 win those five counties and those five states and and you know everything else that already um, we we think we've got. So uh, can can we do it? Uh, what what's going to be happening? I I think the national security situation is going to be horrendous mm-hmm. by then. I think China's sharpening its knives on Taiwan and. The, the, the issue becomes, you know, I, I was on a show with Martha McCallum and Keith Kellogg about two years ago, and she turned to me, and it was like a three-part series, and said, Tony, what's your biggest national security threat going forward? And I said, an uninterested media, because if you don't have sunshine on these horrible decisions being made, we're just going to keep making horrible decisions. And if you put wind behind the sails of, of the Frank McKenzie's of the world that make these decisions in Afghanistan that get people killed, then there's going to be no accountability. And, and, you know, they get lionized, they move on, they sit on boards, and, and there's no consequence for killing American soldiers or killing Afghan civilians. And so this uninterested media, well, they're, they're interested in keeping the Democrats in power, but they're uninterested in any mistake that this uh, administration makes. We have no accountability. And, you know, to the earlier discussion, Dan, you know, there, there is no accountability in the Afghanistan drill. And, and I'm worried that the media is so monolithic that they're going to paint over um, – they're going to say, you know, remember last year we were in a recession. Well, we're not really in a recession. You know, we're getting ready to go to World War Three. Well, you know, it's, you know, we got to support NATO and, 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 uh, you know, get rid of Putin. You know, it, it just gets repurposed and re, rephrased to just make it seem like it's normal. I don't think the uh, Republicans are doing a very good job of explaining the narrative chain of events to people either. So, Germany uh, shutting down nuclear facilities and weakening their own natural uh, uh, domestic energy production uh, was a huge part of that as well. That weakened NATO right off the bat before we even started on our bullshit. Uh, Biden stopping the drilling and stuff here. Mm -hmm. Uh, We went from being plus, we were were, uh, sending more oil out than we were bringing in for the first time in a very long time. We turned that around and now we're dependent on both OPEC and uh, who doesn't give a fuck about us as long as China keeps buying their oil, right? Right, right. Uh, uh, and Russia. And then on the Afghanistan, so, so we're already in a weakened state when it comes to economics. So that, that was the big triumph of the Trump campaign, as you mentioned before, was to um, focus on using the other levers, economic levers particularly, to, to pressure people into doing stuff. And we threw all that away. Right. Pretty much immediately, as soon as Biden took office, he threw all that shit away. And then... Stopped enforcing the policy. So the deal we made with the Taliban was you guys don't do stupid shit and we will leave. Right. Right. And between uh, March of 21 and August of 21, before the evacuation began, they had taken 40% of the country during that time. 40% violently. And Kirby's on in, in the press this week saying, oh, no, 
we just didn't we didn't see it coming. Our our, our commanders <laughs> no. weren't honest with well, us about he, he, like uh, that. You're a liar. To, to be fair, he's he's a you know, naive, incompetent, mm-hmm. you know, flag officer, and so but, he wouldn't yeah. see it coming. But, but the 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 intelligence community and the Pentagon specifically, maybe not their press guy, but the Pentagon should have seen this, and they did see it. Right. Mm-hmm. They, they were planning to sneak out the back door. That's why uh, we pulled out of Bagram without even the Afghan president calls us like, hey, did you guys leave Bagram? Like, no, nah, we're, we're still there. And it's <laughs> right. just like cardboard cutouts of U.S. troops or some shit. We abandoned that place. Right. But all this stuff ties together. It's it's jettisoning the economic levers that were very effective during the Trump campaign, not abiding by the agreement and letting people slip and get away with stuff and then handcuffing ourselves ourselves when it came to this and you're right putin saw that as a perfect opportunity to do what he wanted to do and that that is where we are now and the cascading effect of that is the u.s petrodollars coming to an end Mm -hmm. so any resiliency our currency has against recession inflation and stuff like that that's gone as soon as the petrodollar is gone that is gone right right so what the fuck's going to happen then i i would say that the gravest threat to our national security um or the biggest mistake that biden has made is is um uh, making us energy independent or dependent again. Yeah, that's, and, that's crazy. And, and, and today's day and age, think about the other, the countries other than the United States that produce energy. Who are they? Venezuela, OPEC, a cartel of fucking crazy Wahhabists, and then Russia. Are you fucking kidding me? Sounds fine. We, we, it we, all sounds we fine. shut I think down we'll domestic fine. oil production <laughs> we're, we're and just hoped for the best with some of the worst people on earth. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's seems, why I, seems myopic, doesn't I, I, it? All of it does. That's why I laugh at, at all at, you know most of this shit. Where it's just like, hey, dude, uh, Venezuela is where we want to be too. Right. How are they doing right well, now? I mean, if you some know, country was doing great, yeah. then I'd be like, well, shit, no, I, maybe I mean, it's well, rad. The Biden administration's you know begging Iran and Venezuela for oil, and they won't return his phone calls. And then right. OPEC decides last week to reduce right. production by 1.5 million barrels a day. Yeah, right. So. I'm sure it's all going to be fine. When do you think it's going to crash, by the way? <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, uh, I, I, I think that um, uh, as the fighting picks up in Ukraine, and we're going to be focused on that, um, I think China uh, here in the next few months is going to do something to Taiwan. because I mean, they're, they're just tipping their hand um, significantly. And they have this... A fine line to walk between being an economic power and 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 also um, taking back Taiwan, which they have stated they want to do. Mm-hmm. And you got Macron saying that's cool. Uh, so um, uh, you know, as they did Hong Kong, they did kind of a soft deal there where they pulled that back in, right? Mm-hmm. And and so how do they? Uh, Taiwan is a PhD level battlefield geometry problem for for us everything is external lines of communication over sea over air there you know we, we've got interior lines of communication in ukraine we we can pump stuff in from romania poland you know the baltics you know where, wherever and and bring it in through uh the the western part of ukraine and resupply them in taiwan you know, we can drop paratroopers we can drop you know, container bundles, um, uh, but but you got to get there. And, you know, uh, uh, five minutes away is the Chinese, you know, Navy, mm-hmm. Air Force, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, and we're, you know, perfect speed is being there and we're not there. And, right. and they are. And, you know, going back to how weak our leadership is, if I'm China, 
I do the same thing that Russia did to Ukraine, just kind of move in and then, you know, see what happens. Because then let's say both of those are these conflicts are going on at the same time on two separate sides of the world like that. Just traveling there. Right. Is a lot. Yeah. And and that's a lot of what Total Empire, the backdrop, even though it's a fiction novel, um, the backdrop is this ascendant China trying to you know, threaten the rest of the world and, you know, um, make them submit. And, and when you think about um, what, where we are, all the cards that we've given, given away, as Dan was saying, uh, from energy independence and, and, you know, diplomacy, we got no diplomacy anywhere, you know, Blinken's out to lunch. Uh, I, yeah, they, China is, is holding the in, inside straight here and, and they, they have the option of going into Taiwan, and if they go to Taiwan, uh, we probably won't have any significant response, right? And um, the TSM is there, Taiwan Semiconductor, mm. and the number one manufacturer of semiconductors in the world. What eighty percent, Giorgio? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, you got recently building a new plant in Arizona, and they're building one in Brazil as well. In Ohio as well, yeah. yeah but it's going to be three years before they're operational. Yeah, right? right. in Ohio, I believe is Intel. But well, like, yeah, they're it, trying to it, diversify all the production outside. Oh, you mean there. TSM specifically? Yeah, TSMC yeah, yeah. specifically is. Well, uh, in the in Trump administration, we, we we tried to get and and and. You know, a lot of it's classified, but that we were trying to do something about that, right? And mm-hmm. and I think we're seeing the manifestation of some of that happening now. You know, even the Chips Act was really something that the Trump administration began. So uh, this single point of failure, almost in in Taiwan with TSM, is is you know think about everything that you, has a semiconductor in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's like you know a year ago endless. the cars were backed up you couldn't buy yeah. trucks yeah, anyway right. anything, yeah. yeah right it's uh two the the main first rule well, first of all logistics win wars right or more appropriately soldiers win wars but logistics can lose wars very rapidly right. and then two is one and one is none that's that's the general operating premise of any uh, uh, NES for logistics is for professionals. Tactics is yeah. for amateurs. That's the same. Yeah. Yep. And it's, uh, you know, we've, we fucked ourselves on both accounts. So <laughs> at least we're, yeah, you can draw those circles on a map you want, but if you don't know how to get the stuff yeah. there, beans, bullets, gas, whatever, uh, you know, as the deputy commander in Afghanistan, I needed a million gallons of gas every three days in Afghanistan to keep medevac flying, to keep attack helicopters flying, to keep the A-10s flying, everything. And, you know, that was my pacing item, man. I, you know, I watched that so close. And here I, I'm an operator. I'm a paratrooper. Mm. But if I couldn't get that gas in there, it mm. didn't matter who I was or what I was because I wasn't picking up my wounded. Yep. I wasn't supporting my troops in contact. So that, that was my number one focus. Um, besides, you know, obviously being uh, an accomplished author in a long military career, um, I want to talk about your work with the education department sure. as well. That's yeah. a little known thing. And yeah. uh, it's your life is wild. I mean, looking back <laughs> at it, like, I mean, 28 years of service, yep. 15 books, working for Trump, working for and then you just managed to squeeze in time to 
uh, be the COO for the public school system, and, uh, and then you work with Wake and all those guys. Yeah. Like, why did you get involved with public yeah, schools? Yeah, so I appreciate you asking that. Absolutely, uh, well, I got kids, so yeah, I, I was yeah. just curious. So, my both my parents were teachers. My dad was actually a high school football coach, and he had to teach to be able to do that. <laughs> he he played at University of Virginia, big running back, Italian kid from Detroit. Got drafted by the Lions after he graduated. Got cut uh, right before the season started. But maybe uh, that's why they've been terrible all these years. <laughs> <laughs> Probably uh, for for years, for decades. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, and my sister is a teacher, so I have uh, teaching is kind of education's a family business for me. My dad was in the Virginia General Assembly for thirty years. Much of that time. The entire time he was on the education committee, much of that time he was the chairman of the education committee in the Virginia General Assembly on the House side. And so when I was transitioning from the military, I education was my number one thing. I, you know, I could have gone to Boeing or, you know, General Dynamics, but why not just stay in? Because that's just kind of like you take the uniform off and you keep doing the same kind of thing. And Service. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, uh, with defense contractors. And, and so for me, I wanted to continue to serve the population that, you know, I've been working with 18 to 23-year-olds mainly in the, you know, 82nd, 101st, 10th Mountain. I wanted to flip that and work with the 17 and below and try to try to help um, with my leadership build skills. the pipeline a little more build, yeah. build the pipeline yeah. and so I went in this thing called the Broad Superintendents Academy they recruited me I came in I, it's a one-year program I did about half of it while I was on active duty Michelle Ree was the chancellor of DC public schools at the time she was a real firebrand great woman great leader and and uh, she she, you know, called me and said, hey, Tony, I need an army general to, you know, run my business operations. And so that's how I got into uh, and she was on the board of the Broad Academy. So that's how that all connected. And so I went there. I did that for almost two years. Then Wake um, asked me to um, you know, apply to be the superintendent. The board was five, four Republican Democrat. Um, after I interviewed, the recruiter called me and said, hey, you just made a five, four board, nine, oh. Um, it didn't, the vote didn't turn the vote was like six to two or something like that. But, uh, at the end of the day, I came in there and that the pinnacle of my life was leading Wake County schools. And every day I, I just absolutely loved going into work and working for the parents and students of Wake County and, and the administration, the, the, uh, uh you know, I had 18,000 employees, 9,500 teachers, 170 schools, 150,000 students, um, you know, $1.25 billion budget, every eye in the county watching. And we did some great things, and we, we advanced the underserved community. You know, I, I get called all these crazy things. I dedicated my life to leading young men and women, mostly from underserved communities in the military. And then I went and worked in Washington, D.C. public schools, serving those students and parents that are mostly underserved. Yeah. And then about 38% in Wake County. And I've dedicated my life to, to improving the lives as best I can through leadership of these young children and their families. Yeah, but you made a joke on Twitter once. You're done. Right, yeah, you're exactly. Canceled. Get out. Yeah, you're right, exactly. You're canceled. Ridiculous. But, uh, I wanted to make a point of it here today because it's something Dan and I talk about uh, a lot on this show. Uh, you don't get a lot of money doing that job, right? You don't. And uh, you have to really want to try to better someone else's mm -hmm. life to to get into that. And, uh, and you did it. Um, I, I didn't know about your parents uh, so when you explained it, that, that makes a little more sense. But mm -hmm. I wish 
more people did and had an interest in it. Um, because I, I feel like our public schools are severely lacking that well, type the of right leadership people. right now. The right, correct? People. Yeah. Well, that yeah. was Eli Broad's principle. He, he, you know, he he was a uh, he was from Detroit, also about the same age as my dad. And you know, he had KBR Homes and uh, an insurance company. He's a billionaire. Had the he's got the art museum in L.A. He's got the stem cell research medical thing in L.A. And he's got the Broad Academy that was in L.A. and is now at Yale. Um, uh, he's he's since passed a few years ago. And Eli said to us that the real problem in public education is leadership. It's, mm. it's you know, we are lacking leaders. And he wanted more. And so he re- heavily recruited, picked 15 people a year to come to his superintendent. You know, he had like 800 uh, people apply. And he picked three or four from the military, three or four from business, and three or four from, from uh, education. And, boy, you know, that was a, a great learning experience for me. And, but even then you kind of, you know, oh, you're a Brody, you know, you're, you've, you've got the, and for me, I came in there and it was absolutely the perfect, um, application of all my leadership skills and understanding and being in the community. I was in all 170 schools in the first 180 school days, uh, whether it was at a sporting event or in a classroom, typically in a classroom. And I listened to the teachers and some of them would follow me out of the classroom crying. I've never had a superintendent in my classroom. And the the anguish in that community was for leadership. The calling was for leadership. And uh, you can tell by my voice that, that I, I mean, that was, to me, the most meaningful job. And I've had a lot of meaningful jobs, as you point out, mm-hmm. leading troops in combat, leading my soldiers, being a paratrooper, uh, being in the 101st, which is not being a paratrooper. Um, and, and, um, uh, but I really self-actualized there in Wake County. Yeah. Uh, what a unbelievably rich and fulfilling, uh, fulfilling life you've led. I mean, it's pretty wild to go down your list of accomplishments and, uh, I feel like we're only halfway there. You got to come back. Uh, now's the point in the show we get to the drinking bro of the week, which is someone who has inspired you or helped you become the person you are today. Who would you like to to give the drink? Uh, that, that would be my my father. My my father, um, great man. We just lost him two years ago. Um, he uh, he was my drinking bro. Every time I would come home from uh, deployment, um, he would he would make me put my uniform on. As I mentioned, he was the general assembly guy, the state delegate from Virginia Beach, and he would parade me into. He was so proud of the service. He would parade me in into the general assembly. Have some resolution there, you know just back from Bosnia or back from Afghanistan. I met with, you know, the governor and, and, and that kind of, and, and he and mom would just walk me around, but dad, you know, the son of a block layer, uh, Italian immigrants coming over to Detroit through Ellis Island. His, my grandfather laid cinder blocks and started his own business and made sure my dad could be the first guy in his family to go to school. And, and my dad carved out this amazing life. I understood his place also. He, like, he got asked to run for Congress, asked to run for Senate, asked to run for governor, because he was a big deal in Virginia Beach. And he said, you know, I, I understand where I am. I love my community. I love the, the environment that uh, you guys were raised in. And this is where I belong. And, and he had a real sense of self and purpose. And so that's my drinking bro of the week. That's awesome. 
Uh, cheers. Cheers. Um, the book is Total Empire. It is out now uh, everywhere you can find books. Amazon's the easiest, you know? Yeah, sure. 91% of book sales come yeah, off of Barnes Amazon. Barnes and Noble, Amazon. Yeah, yeah you're yeah. everywhere. 15 books. How many more you got left in you? Well, I just turned in 16. Um, Shit. And, and uh, literally, while I was on the plane flying here. Um, I, I That's where I write as well. I, I'm I, I, always writing on the yeah, plane. Yeah, because, you know, you can, you can choose not to be on the internet, right? Yeah. And you can have no problem. Um, and and um, we'll see. You know, it depends on how my books sell. Of course, they've sold well in the past. So we'll see if I get more contracts to write more books. Absolutely. We'll go out and, and purchase a copy now. Uh, thank you for the time today. Great show. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Thanks, team. I really appreciate thank it. Sir. Yeah, thank you absolutely. So much. Uh, for D'Anthony D'Anthony Holloway, I'm Ross Patterson. This is the Drinking Bros Podcast. Good night, everyone. If saving more and spending less is one of your top goals for 2023, why are you still paying insane amounts of money every month for your phone bill? Switching to Mint Mobile is the easiest way to save this year as the first company to sell premium wireless service online only. Mint Mobile lets you order from home and save you a ton with phone plans starting at just $15 a month. I saw the commercials with Ryan Reynolds and I was like, I'll give it a go. My service sucks here anyways with AT&T, so I switched. It's been pretty easy over there. For people looking for extra savings this year, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month by going online only and eliminating the traditional cost of retail. Mint Mobile passes significant savings to you. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and switch easily in minutes with eSIM. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless service plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash drinking bros. That is mintmobile.com slash drinking bros. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash drinking bros.